May we open our Bibles, please, to the Gospel according to Luke, the 24th chapter, verse 21. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. I'm speaking tonight on the path that led to the cross. And this passage finds Jesus Christ walking along the highway with several disciples. They were sad. They were perplexed. They were waiting for further developments. And Jesus had himself, of course, been raised, joined himself with them, and walked along. They didn't recognize him, and he said, what thing? What's happened? They said, do you mean to say you've lived around here and haven't heard what's been going on up at Jerusalem? Jerusalem? It's about Jesus of Nazareth. We thought, we were of firm opinion that this was the one who would redeem Israel. And the one thing that stood out in all of their thought concerning him was that This one was going to save them. This one was going to redeem them. And now they didn't know what to believe. And then the risen Christ. And I don't know how you felt tonight, but as I read those scriptures to you, it just seemed to come alive. The living Christ turned and says, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? O fools and slow of heart to believe, to believe all that the prophets, the prophets, all the scriptures, all of these things have told you that this is what was going to happen. That this is what had to take place if there was going to be a deliverance and a redemption. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Beloved, you can't preach the Bible without preaching Jesus Christ, and you can't preach Jesus Christ without expounding the Bible. There it is. And the one point which stands out as Christ interprets his own ministry, as Christ outlines his own life, is that everything looked forward to his suffering. And that everything looked forward to his glory. He walked with these two disciples and they said, well, stay with us. And he agreed to 
They sat down to break bread, and in the breaking of the bread, he opened their eyes, and he was known to them, the fellowship of that bread. Then he vanished. And they didn't stop to eat their bread. They got up. They said, here, he's been here. We saw him. Let's go find the disciples. We, we know what's happened now. Here he is. He's alive. The third day, he's come back. And they go rushing over to Jerusalem, and here they come to the disciples, and they find them and said, yes, yes, we understand. Simon just saw him. Simon's had a visit from him. Simon seen him. And while they were gathered there, he just appeared in their presence. No doors open. Nobody rang a bell. Nobody knocked on anything. He just arrived, and there he was. And they were somewhat taken back, and they were uh, uh, startled by it. They thought maybe they'd seen a spirit. He says, no, this isn't any spirit. He says, I'm the same one. Look, here's my hands. And see the nail prints are there. And here's my feet, you see. He says, look at my hands. Look at the prints. Look at my feet. Look at the piercing feet. See them. It's, this is I. This is myself. Here I am. I've come back from the dead. And then what happened? He turned to his disciples themselves. And he said, thus it is written. The same words he gave to the devil when the Satan came and tempted him on the mountain. And thus it behooved Christ to suffer. To rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And when Jesus took the scriptures to expound the scriptures to his own disciples, he says, I was supposed to suffer, and that's what I did. I was supposed to die, that's what I came to do. And then the scriptures indicated that I was to be raised from the dead. And here I am, it's all like the scriptures said it would be. And beloved, it is all like the scriptures said it would be. Everything that the scriptures ever said about the coming of the Messiah were fulfilled literally and particularly in each little event, just as the Bible had said. And furthermore, everything that the scriptures have in them about the end time and the future and the coming of the Lord in the clouds of heaven and the great millennial reign when the knowledge of the Lord will cover this earth and the judgment of the nations and the final ushering in of a new heavens and a new earth where there will be righteousness. Everything that's in this book about the events that are just ahead of them, they're going to be just as literally fulfilled in every particular as was the crucifixion and it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ. Beloved, we stand in the presence tonight of the entrance of the supernatural. We stand in the presence tonight of the coming of God down to man that he might lift us up and bring him to himself. You can't talk about Jesus anywhere in the Bible, but you'll have to say that he came to suffer. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things, to be rejected of his people, to be crucified, and to be put to death? That was the whole purpose of his ministry and of his coming. 
Now, when you turn to the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, as it's recorded for us in the New Testament narratives, there are four things that stand out. The first is that his ministry had attending it a tremendous manifestation of supernatural power. More evidence of supernatural power about him than there was about Moses, and yet Moses had tremendous power. More evidence of supernatural power about Jesus Christ than there was about Elijah. Elijah called down fire from heaven, and Elijah brought a little lad back to life. And you can turn to the Old Testament incidents when miracles and wonders were wrought, and they're great wonders, but when you come into the presence of Jesus Christ, the first great thing that stands out is that these miracles bore testimony to his person, who he was, and to his work, that which he came to accomplish. And these things are written that ye might believe. And the entire gospel of John is seven great miracles, wonder works that God performed by the hand of Jesus Christ. And when you take, for instance, the book of, uh, the book of Mark and begin reading, it's miracles, 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 one right after another. He's the servant who's working powerful miracles and the supernatural that attends his life effort is a testimony to his person. The second thing that you say about this ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ is that he had a great teaching ministry. He was teaching about God, about himself. And in that teaching ministry, the fullness of that teaching ministry, the great emphasis of it was that the scriptures were being fulfilled, the scriptures were being fulfilled, the scriptures were being fulfilled. And the great emphasis of that teaching ministry was that he was taking us back to the law, back to the truth, back to the revelation. Everything he said in his teaching ministry was to the end that he himself would be recognized as the truth. His miracles were to the end that he would be recognized. His teaching was to the end that he would be recognized. Now we're not going into that teaching ministry tonight in any depth. Of course, he had a great area of parables in which he used parables and these various things. But the third great area of his teaching had to do with the great things of the future. What he says, if ye should see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, in the midst of some passage, in some place where a miracle has been performed, suddenly he just opened up the heaven. He was transfigured in the presence of three of his disciples. And here was Moses stood alongside of them. And here was Elijah came down again. And here they were. And uh, the disciples said, my, let's just erase, let's erect some monuments here. And suddenly they were gone and they saw him. 
And then you have the great sweep of the heavens when the Lord Jesus Christ turns back and he opens up the vistas concerning the end times. And he speaks about the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. He ties Daniel in with the end times and he's the ancient of days and he's coming with the clouds of heaven. And there was about the ministry of this person, Jesus, this tremendous emphasis upon what we call eschatology, upon the end time, upon the consummation, upon gathering all things together in himself. And everything that Jesus had to say about the future came right back to himself. He is the future. He holds the future in his hands. He makes the future. And all eternity is in the keeping of Jesus Christ. So here's his miracle ministry, here's his teaching ministry, here's his prophetic ministry. But beloved, you can lay out this pattern as you analyze the New Testament records and I'm laying them before you with one broad sweep tonight. But the fourth great thing that runs through it all, and it stands out above everything else, it is his suffering ministry. He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom. And you can't understand this Christ unless you see his footsteps leading to the cross. He set his face steadfastly toward Jerusalem. And he said, I must needs go up to Jerusalem. It was Jerusalem where he was to be crucified. It was Jerusalem against which he was going to cry out when he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that killeth the prophets. How oft I would have gathered you together as a hen gathers her little brood under her wings, but she would not. Oh, Jerusalem, your house is being left unto you desolate. You've rejected your Messiah. You've rejected your prince. You've rejected the son of David who's come to Jerusalem to deliver you. And everything that Jesus Christ had to say in his earthly ministry from the day was born until that final day when he stood with his disciples and beginning he says, I must show you the things which I'm to suffer. I'm to suffer. I'm to suffer. Everything in that ministry was to the end that they would understand the meaning of his death upon that cursed tree. Yes, when the prophet said he was coming, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You can't separate the ministry of Jesus from his ministry in condemning and reproving sin. He is the one who was sinless and who was blameless, and he is the one who stands here as the great condemnation against iniquity upon the face of this earth. This is Jesus Christ. And he gathered together his disciples about him. As he wrought his miracles, he said, I'm going to do this miracle that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Why did he have any power? What right had he to give them forgiveness of sins? 
And as you follow his ministry, this thing begins to open up a little clearer, a little stronger. And you come then to that great, crucial event at Caesarea Philippi. And it's recorded in these various Gospels. And I want you to see it first in Matthew, then we'll look at it in Mark. And uh, just Matthew and Mark perhaps is all we need. But will you turn to the 16th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew? And then we'll turn also to the 20th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. But here the Lord Jesus Christ is just about halfway through his earthly ministry with his disciples. And suddenly he begins to have the strangest kind of talk. It breaks out in the little references in his parables, as we shall see. And then he comes out in very plainness of speech. He, he turns to his disciples and he begins to tell them concerning these events which are just ahead of them. And in verse 21 he says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how he must go to Jerusalem. And suffer, suffer, that's his word, many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Will you turn back in that 16th chapter to verse 13? When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said unto him, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ of the Son of God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto them the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever shall be bound on earth, thou shalt bind on earth, shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ, and from that time forth, he began to show unto his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him, began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Satan. Even Peter was the mouthpiece of Satan in obscuring and turning away from what Christ had said. Beloved, it's the sufferings of Christ that Satan does not want you to understand. It's the death of Christ that Satan does not want you to comprehend. It's the death of Christ which is at the heart of this whole ministry of his in bringing you home to heaven, in delivering you from the condemnations of a righteous God. It's the death of Christ, and it's this death toward which Christ now points in all of his earthly ministry. Now will you turn please over to the 20th chapter of the gospel according to Matthew. And in the 19th verse of the 20th chapter, 
But verse 17 will begin there. And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed in unto the chief priest and unto the scribes, and they shall contemn him to death. And they shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again from the dead. Turn over to the gospel according to Mark. And in the eighth chapter, or rather the ninth chapter it is, beginning with the 30th verse, and they departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying, and were afraid to ask him. And then turn to the 10th chapter. Over into the 10th chapter of the gospel according to Mark. And we have a whole great section here, beginning with verse 34. And he said to them, what would, what would ye that I should do for you? And he's speaking to the disciples here. And uh, verse 45, For even the Son of Man is, came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Now turn back to the 32nd verse. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall contemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him and they shall scourge him and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. And the third day he should rise again from the dead. He should rise again. Oh, beloved, it is one of the most amazing things. That here he comes to Caesarea Philippi. Peter makes his great confession. And no longer, the sooner does Peter say, Thou art the Christ. And he says, Peter... You must understand what that means. I'm to suffer, Peter. Peter says, be it far from you, Lord. Jesus said, <clears throat> Satan has put that in your lips, Peter. You must understand the nature of my suffering, the reason for my suffering, why I came to suffer. I came to die for sin. I came to give my life a ransom for many. And here was this thing in his ministry. Oh, working miracles, yes. Parables, yes. The future, yes, but oh, the third day after this death, he's going to be raised. They're going to spit on him, he says. 
They're going to mock him, he says. He says they're going to crucify him. To talk to the Jews about crucifixion. It wasn't their way. Their way was stoning. But to be delivered into the hands of the scribes, to be put in the care of the Pharisees, to be turned over to the Gentiles, they shall kill me. They shall be successful in destroying me. Oh, be it far from you, Lord. Oh, Lord, we don't think that's going to happen. We, we're, we're not going to permit that to happen to you. And even these disciples who were so close to him, and all oh, the task that Jesus had in training these 12 disciples to be with him. And then when you think that you came near to that hour, when he was to be crucified, and they all forsook him and fled. There wasn't a single one of them. He'd warned them. He'd told them. He'd explained to them. But every single one of them forsook him and fled. And even Peter who said he would never, never deny. When they were taking Jesus in to be heard before the court. Here was Herod and here was Pilate. And they said, where are some of these people? Well, there's this Peter out here. He's warming his hands by the fire. Peter says, I never knew him. Never heard of him. And he took his name in vain. And when I think of James, John, Peter, and these men who were so close to him, and he sought to inform them. He sought to tell them. He sought to explain to them that the whole purpose of his life, his whole pathway, the way he was walking, everything was to the end, that on that cross he would die, and that death would be a ransom. He would offer himself as a sacrifice, and that sacrifice would be the same sacrifice, the same identical type of, uh, of uh, uh, ministry that was seen in the Lamb, the Passover, the blood that was put over the doorpost when they fled out of Egypt. He was their Passover. He was their sacrifice. And that his whole life, his whole ministry to, to that end. Jesus understood it. Jesus saw it. Jesus knew perfectly what it was. He had been commissioned by the Father from before the world began to go to that cross and to die for us. But every one of his disciples forsook him and fled. Everyone. Beloved, he had to go alone. He was alone in his trial. The world tried to give him some companions. They put two thieves on a cross alongside of him. Make it appear that there was somebody that belonged with his crowd. But there was no one. Will ye also go away? That's what he said. And he understood that he was going to that cross. He was moving into the shadows. He was moving into that darkest hour when he would lift up his voice and cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The multitudes whom he healed forsook him. The great crowds that cried Hosanna to the highest turned about. In just a few short days they were saying, We want him crucified, crucified, crucified. Oh, beloved, in all the history of the human race, there's never been anything like it. 
in all the stories of the history and the sufferings and the massacres and all the persecutions, there's never been anything like it. And when the disciples turned to him, Jesus said, Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? Are you going to find the place when all will forsake you and no, will, no one will stand with you? And I shall be scoffed, I shall be spit upon, I shall be crucified, they'll do it on the cross, it'll be done the Roman way, I'll be put into the hands of the Gentiles, the Jews will forsake me, the people to whom I came to be their Messiah, they will reject me, they'll turn me over to the Gentiles and Pilate will wash his hands and put them back in your hands and then upon that cursed tree I'll be crucified. And beloved, in all the scriptures from the days of Moses on down, the prophecies were that the Son of God was coming to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This is what you and I believe. This is what you and I preach. This is what our missionaries go to tell the heathen. This is what we're trying to get to the hearts of men on every hand today that they will believe that Jesus came to this earth to die. He never married, never had a family, never committed the slightest form of sin in any shape of any kind. He came as God's anointed, as the one appointed by all heaven itself to enter this world of darkness and death, to take unto himself the likeness of sinful flesh, and then for sin to be crucified on that cross that he might deliver us from the consequences of our own iniquity and our own disobedience. This is the cross, and it stands alone. Only one person could ever die upon it, and that one was Jesus Christ. This is the cross that towers over all the wrecks of time. And this is the cross which is the consummation of his ministry. He came to deal with your sin. Of course, we're coming to Easter now and the whole world is going to be talking about it. But oh, so few will understand the meaning of that cross for the redemption of their souls. And oh, the preachers that will use the cross as a symbol of this and a symbol of that and a great example of suffering which uh, uh, in somehow or other represents the kind of sufferings that the civil rights agitators are going through. And it's on that level that the cross is being taken down and utterly destroyed. It's in that realm that the cross is being used and perverted. And the message of the cross of Christ is being turned into some kind of a revolutionary thrust. No, beloved, this is the place where the Lamb of God did a deed that had to be done before you could be saved. 
This is the place where the Almighty God appointed in the fullness of time that his own son would hang and he would turn his face away from him and in that flash he would endure all the pains of hell for the condemned and the damned. Jesus Christ died for sin. He didn't die for some beautiful dream. He died for your iniquity. He didn't die in order that he might uh, bring in the brotherhood of man society. He died for his own sheep. He died for the elect. He had died for the chosen ones. He died for those that the Father had put in his hand. And he came down here in order that we might be freed and delivered. And beloved, that death upon that cross was completed when Jesus Christ gave those final words and they shall ring and re-ring down through all the corridors of eternity. It is finished. It is finished. I came to do this. I've done it. I was appointed to this end. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. It was the cross of God. And beloved, as we stand here tonight in this pulpit, and as I hold before you this matchless vision of the Son of God, it's not myths, it's not fairy tale, it's not legend, it's not some story. Beloved, this is the good news of what God did. And having done it, it is forever finished. And all I can do is to announce it to you. All I can do is to tell you that you're a sinner and that this Christ died for you. There was none other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. And he has opened the gates of heaven to you and me because he's removed forever the condemnation that demands that you you be punished and that you die for your iniquities. And so when you take the cross now, here it is. It's the great event. It's a supreme event. It's the forensic consummation of God satisfying by the gift of his Son the demands of his infinite justice against iniquity. That's what happened. And listen to his teaching. If you believe not, you'll die in your sin. If you don't recognize me as the Son of God, the wrath of God is on you forever. If you want wrath taken off, look to me on the cross. If you want sins forgiven, look to me on the cross. If you want life everlasting, look to me on the cross. Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. And beginning at Moses and the prophets and all the prophets in all the scriptures, he expounded unto them the things concerning himself. And what were they? Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? And if you don't see Christ coming as the Savior, the one who came to redeem Israel, if you don't see him as the one who made the penalty for your, paid the penalty for your sins and made the atonement for your disobedience, you don't know him. If you don't see that in what he did, you have not become his child. 
you must recognize that it was this specific thing. Oh, beloved, it's not a theory. We don't relegate these things to the realms of speculation. This is the good news of everlasting deliverance from condemnation, which we have upon that cursed tree. And then those of you who've listened to my ministry through the years, if you've followed it and you listen to me on the broadcast over and over again, you'll notice something about Dr. McIntyre, and you'll remember it after I'm dead and gone, Lord willing, the third day, the third day, the third day, the third day, the third day. My, I love that. I just get the greatest joy out of it. He shall be crucified and rise again the third day. It's the third day since these things took place. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. Third day, third day, third day, third day. It's all the way through. Every time you get to this, Jesus Christ said, yes, I have crucified, but listen, it's on that third day that tomb's going to be open and I'm going to come out. And that day is related to time. That day is related to history. That day is related to an empty tomb. That day is related to this earth. That is the day in which I came out of that tomb. And when God brought me out of the tomb it was an evidence that my death was accepted in the courts of heaven it was a testimony that my sacrifice had met every demand there was no longer any penalty no longer any guilt no longer any condemnation upon my redeemed I came to ransom them I finished that work and I brought them to myself and beloved tonight as I stand in this pulpit and show you that everything Christ did was to the end that he might redeem us that every step that Christ took was to the end that he would land upon that cross and there he would die for you and me Everything that I'm giving you tonight is to the end that you will pause and believe that it was for you. Paul said he loved me and he gave himself for me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And when you see what he did in parting your sin, opening the door of death to you, no longer do we fear hell and judgment. We look forward to heaven and Christ. These things are a thing of the past for us because we have been purchased by the price of the blood which was shed on Calvary's cross. No wonder Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. No wonder he said, God forbid that I should glory save in the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. My friend listening to me in Radio Land, I've told you that that crucifixion was there for you. You must believe it. And I invite you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. I invite you to trust him. Why can't we make it plain? Why can't we make it clear? Here it is. And the Spirit of God is able to take it now and to give it to you. Woe is unto me. You know, I've been praying and calling for preachers. Last Sunday night I gave an invitation. This little girl said she wanted to give her life to the Lord. After which she came to me and she just beamed her eyes, just glistened. And I saw the Spirit of God. I prayed for you this week, honey. You got somebody praying for you now. 
And then another little girl came to me and says, uh, Dr. McIntyre, I want you to know that I made the decision too tonight. I'm going to be a missionary. I said, you did? She said, yes. She says, I made the decision. She says, I'm going to do it. Oh, it just thrills your heart. It just thrills. Beloved, what in the world are you going to have to show when you get through with this life? What is it that you're going to have to bring with you? What will you have accomplished? What will you have done? What will be the fruit of your life? What will be the consequences of what you have done? And beloved, you and I tonight stand in a tremendous position in the church of Jesus Christ. We have the cross. There it is. The pathway to that cross was the Lamb of God leaving glory, being born of a virgin, working his miracles, giving his teaching, selecting his twelve, telling them he was going to be crucified, giving them a glimpse of his glory that should be revealed in the ages that are ahead of us, and then going to the cross, and they all forsook him and fled. Every one of them turned and went away from him and wouldn't bear his shame. Then he was raised from the dead in beloved, I believe tonight it takes the power of God to keep a man following Jesus Christ. It takes the power of God to make a Christian. It takes the power of God to raise you from the dead. It takes the power of God to build a Christian church. It takes the power of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And this is the power which worketh in us who believe. This is the power that keeps us day by day and delivers us from our temptations. This is the power of his resurrection which is in us because we belong to Jesus Christ. Here's the cross. Ought not Christ to have suffered? Here's the empty tomb. Ought not Christ to have entered into his glory? And here's the cross, and here's the resurrection. Without the cross, the resurrection would be meaningless. And without the resurrection, the cross would be meaningless. But with the cross, we have the cleansing of the blood. And with the resurrection, we have eternity secured. Let us pray. Oh God, tonight we thank thee for this great evangel. We thank thee that thou dost give us men who will rise up and say, Woe be unto me if I preach not the gospel. And Lord, wilt thou touch our hearts? And wilt thou give us preachers? Wilt thou give us missionaries? Wilt thou give us young people who will say, Lord, here is my life. I want you to take it and use it in thy service. Oh, Father, time is running out. The end of the age is upon us. Our years are adding up. The time of our departure is not too far away. But, oh, Father, we thank thee that thou hast told us to tell men that Christ died for our sins. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died to bring us to God. Christ died 
to make us holy. Bless the message tonight. May we go from here determined that we shall lay aside the weights and the hindrances, excuses, and that we shall serve thee as a people tomorrow and this week and forever. Amen.